afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? And welcome to episode 50 of Sons of Saturday Irish. 50. Milestone wow. day for the boys. I'm Tyler Wojcik, and with me as always is my good friend and co-host Luke Smith. Uh, first, we're going to share our thoughts on the initial college football playoff rankings, which came out on Tuesday. If you haven't heard, Notre Dame is ranked 10th in the CFP, which is two spots behind their place in the AP in the coaches poll. So we'll obviously overreact to that. And then it's time to have a conversation about the rivalry between Notre Dame and Navy. It is Navy week after all. The first time the two schools have played each other since we started doing this podcast after the pandemic forced the schools to put the rivalry on hold last year. Luke and I have already gone on record before expressing our disdain. Contempt. This rivalry. Yeah. But today we're going to take a deep dive into it before we talk about the game on Saturday. We actually kind of got the conversation going a little bit yesterday on our social media accounts. We asked to hear what you guys thought about it and... We got a lot of strong reactions on both sides. Um, our student writer, Jameson Cook, actually posted an article on our website going over some of the best reactions we got yesterday. Um, we'll reference a few of them today, but you should go check out the full article at sonsofsaturday.com slash irish. Then we'll break down this Navy team, which has been really struggling this year. Um, the midshipmen come into this one 2-6. and six. They've lost 13 out of their last 18 games going back a few seasons ago. And Notre Dame is favored by 21 the over-under at 47.5. Vegas is expecting something close to a 34-13 to 13 win for the Irish. But before we talk about Saturday, though, Luke, uh, let's talk some big-picture college football stuff first. What was your reaction to the uh, first CFP rankings of the 2021 season? You know, I'm honestly trying not to think too much about the playoff, um, especially with how so much can still change over the last month-plus of the season which is kind of why I think it's ridiculous when people are saying already it's their Notre Dame has no chance. Cause like there are so many losses that are going to happen in front of them that I just, I just think that's a little bit silly. That said, um, the way I see it, Notre Dame had its chance and, and unfortunately blew that by losing to a team that's far more talented than. So at this point you just got to win the games that are left on the schedule and let the chips fall where they may. Um, but you know, I, I just, I'm not getting as caught up in it as I typically do uh, because I think they had their chance and, and they just lost. Now, as for the rest of the rankings, I do have some thoughts. Um, I get it's Alabama, but it is so annoying that they get preferential treatment. You can't take into account prior years when doing these rankings, and that's clearly what the committee did with Alabama. Games have to matter. They lost to AM. They should not be number two in the country. Like There are undefeated teams left. They should not be number two in the country. It's bullshit. It, that's the only word for it. It's bullshit. And frankly... There's no reason to put them at two right now because they have enough games to play themselves into that spot anyways. So all that does right. by putting them at two now is create the possibility of a two-loss Bama team getting in, which is, again, fucking bullshit. 
Um, I'm sick of Alabama. Like, yeah, they've won a lot of natties, but like, you can't do it. It's not a year over year thing. It's within this season. And that's not like, and that's the issue with these college football rankings as a whole. And I'm already getting way more worked up than I thought I was going to. (laughs) I was just going to (laughs) say, but like, it's just like, it's not fair. That's, that's all I'm saying. But, um, those are just my thoughts on Alabama. Like I said, they can easily earn that spot as the rest of this month and a half goes by. But for the rest of the poll, I'll keep it pretty short and sweet with a couple words. Um, Michigan State absolutely will get exposed probably this week against Purdue, I think, honestly. Um, I see three losses on their schedule with still having to play Ohio State and Penn State. To be honest, they kind of remind me of 2002 Notre Dame where they just like have a lot of really ugly games early. Last week, obviously, they scored some points, but like they don't score a lot of points. They have a pretty good defense and good running back, and they're just like they have a lot of box score losses, but somehow they keep winning, and I think they just get exposed in November. Um, I mean, Sparty's going to Sparty. That's that's kind of how I feel about them. Um, also, I'm glad that they honored head to head with Oregon and Ohio State, but Oregon still does have Anthony Brown playing quarterback, so that's a big problem for them. Um, and and I think that Ohio State in all honesty, probably wins the Big Ten and certainly has improved, but they did lose to Anthony Brown, and that has to count for something um, because that guy's terrible. Um, since he probably got screwed, and and I don't like the argument that like Gary Barta gave on the TV, like, well, they beat Notre Dame, but who else did they play? Because they, you could say that about pretty much everybody else in the top ten. It, it's, it's, it's not fair, but I don't care because they were pricks when they beat us, and I hope they get left out of the playoff. So I, I really don't feel bad for them at all. Um, you know, other than that, Michigan stinks, probably the one team I feel should be behind Notre Dame. That's currently ahead of them, but it doesn't matter. They'll lose two more games anyway. I just don't know who they've beaten. Um, as for Oklahoma, they're walking on broken glass. That's going to shatter. Eventually they got some tough games coming up. And then I actually have no problem with wake at nine as an undefeated power five. But I mean, there's a reason they're a dog against Ford for Carolina this week. That's all I'll say. So. I like how you started this saying you have no real strong opinions about this and well, then just as, unleashed right. one <laughs> of the most strongest rants you've ever had to open a show. <laughs> I should have said I have no strong feelings about this as it pertains to Notre Dame. Okay. Because I, I think that they've gotten their fair shake. And unfortunately, like we've talked about this before, we pretty much know we have to go 12 and 0 to get in this damn thing. And they blew their chance. Now, there, it could still happen, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But how everything else is weighed, I think, is is really poorly. And I think that I should probably quit my job and come up with a solution for the college football rankings because those 13 guys that vote on this do a fucking terrible job. Okay. Honestly, I, I was pretty content with the committee because it's pretty consistent with what they've done in the past. Well, yeah, it's consistent, but it's consistently shitty. Well... I would say that they've gotten it right, at least in the top four, every single year. And to be honest, the first rankings don't even really matter that much. I think um, what they could have done is they could have put Cincinnati at four to basically like give the dog a bone a little bit. Be like, yeah, we're really valuing you. And then in the end, they could just take it away because they clearly don't value them that much. And honestly, the fact that there is such a reaction to these rankings is exactly what they want. And this is like satisfying to them. Um, the only thing that really surprised me was Oklahoma at eight, but then the more you think about it, it's really not surprising considering they're not good. Yeah. They haven't really done anything to show that they're that great. I mean, yes, they're a different team with Caleb Williams, but then again, they almost lost to Kansas with Williams at QB. So I'm not really sure. The only thing is they have plenty of opportunities to make their case with Baylor and Oklahoma state coming up. I'm with you. I would have put Michigan state at two instead of Alabama considering they're undefeated. 
Uh, Big Ten team, they clearly like the Big Ten, that being the committee. I mean, um, the one thing that they do have that the 2002 team didn't have is the Heisman frontrunner. I think you're underselling Kenneth Walker a little bit. He's probably the favorite right now. No, it's it's still Bryce Young. You think? Yeah, I looked at the the betting odds still are Bryce Young. Okay, well, if Michigan State is able to win out, well, or even if they, they won't. just lose to Ohio State, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you're underselling him a little bit. Um, and they just beat Michigan, who the committee has at number seven. So and they should have lost to Nebraska, and they should have lost to Rutgers. Well, the thing is, you could poke holes, and we'll do this, like, with every single team with a loss, you could poke holes in their argument for or against. And at the same time, even the undefeated teams, like you mentioned with Michigan State and Wake Forest, you could pretty much do the same. The only one who's, I think everyone is in agreement is Georgia at number one. And that's mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Their defense is incredible. And even if their offense doesn't have like NFL playmakers across the board, they're still really, really talented. Since he at six wasn't really a surprise to me. Outside of Notre Dame, they've only beaten one other team with a winning record, and that's five and three UCF. But like I said, none of this actually matters. There's still so much football left to be played. Um, and if this season has shown us anything, expect more chaos. Um, yeah. And if you're mad at the committee for being vague and manipulative, you're wasting your breath because they've always been this way and it's on purpose. Which is why I'm quitting my job to find a solution <laughs> because they're really bad. Well, they've already this. got a solution. The solution was is putting teams. Alabama in the playoff. That's the one thing I am rooting against this year is Alabama not making the playoff. I'm fucking sick of those guys. And they just get the benefit of the doubt every year, which I get, right? They've won a lot of national championships, but you can't do that. You just can't. Why do they get a mulligan and nobody else does? Okay. Do you think Alabama is a top four team? Maybe. I don't know. I, like, I, I mean, I'm friends with a lot of Alabama fans. They're not nearly as high on this team as they are in past years. I agree. But I still think that there's not a lot of great teams at the top this year. Here's the other thing we're forgetting about. Did you see the Bo Nix, Atlanta, the Knicks at quarterback for Auburn in the uh, in the Atlanta Braves Reddit Reddit thread today? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh my god, let me pull this up. It is. I mean, well, Bo Nix owns Alabama, which is weird, but he did beat them two years ago, and he's going to do it again this year. So it'll be a moot point. So the Auburn Tigers are undefeated in Iron Bowls when their starting quarterback, last name Nix, when the Braves win the World Series. This has happened <laughs> in 1914, 1957, 1995 with Bo Nix's dad, and now 2021. Uh, ni- 1957 was a guy by the name of Lloyd Nix, beat Bama 40 to nothing. Of course, the Braves won the World Series that year out of Milwaukee. Um, in that 95, Atlanta Braves, Bo Nix's dad, Beats in 31-27, Jordan Hare. Braves won the World Series in 95. All I'm saying is it feels like 95. <laughs> the one thing they don't have is Saban's kryptonite, which is Gus Melzahn. Well, you know what the other kryptonite thing head. is? Yeah. Nick Saban has never beaten a 9-plus win Auburn team. And there's a pretty good chance that Auburn's going to go into that game with 9 wins. That's true. And Auburn's really... I don't understand them at all. Like, Bo Nix, like, stinks most days, but then he pulls games out where he looks incredible. Yeah. So. Yeah, he has specific plays during games. You're like, oh, my God. Like he had two against LSU that mm-hmm. were insane. But like I said, the point of all this is you could make the case for pretty much every team, one through six, to be in the top four, maybe top eight. But honestly, it, it's just so subjective. And the committee at the end of the – maybe not in the first one, but at the end of the year, every single year, they've gotten the top four right. If you go back and look at it, the only year – in which you could pick a team who finished outside the top four that I think you could make a legitimate case that they could have won a national championship that year was actually the first year they did the playoff. TCU came in fifth. They 
dominated their bowl game. And Ohio State got in fourth after they just lit up Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. But that year, Ohio State went on to win the national championship. So it was a win for the committee there. It's It generates a lot of discussion. It's extremely, extremely subjective. But I, I think in the end, it, it's always right. Um, I don't know if I go that far. But I think it's usually right because there aren't more than three good teams. So that's why. Uh, their job is made easy for them in the end. But, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I'm sick of talking about this already. <laughs> like I said at the beginning, you're like, yeah, I don't really have that many strong opinions. We're 12 minutes in. For Notre Dame, I still feel the same way. I don't have any strong feelings about it. But everything else I'm a little bit annoyed about. Okay. But to prove our point, though, mm-hmm. that all of this is subjective, you could do this about pretty much anything. Anything. Not just college football teams. For example, you could do it with yourself. We could do it with ourselves. So we're going to make the case for and against ourselves using the same points in a pretty similar fashion that the CFP does with every team in the top 10. Luke, would you like to kick it off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess if I was making the case for myself, I would say I never say no. Um, Ask me to do something, and I'm 100% going to be up for it. Um, I'll also say despite my outbursts on this podcast, I'm actually pretty even-keeled. There are very few people I struggle to get along with. So I'm never going to cause a scene in public despite these outbursts, um, and I'm always going to be around. So, uh, And I guess the last point is I'm knowledgeable about what I care about. Now, case against perhaps a stronger case, more compelling case. (laughs) Um, I never say no. So as a result, I'm always moving to the extent that I've I've picked up like the unfortunate nickname gump and that I'm everywhere, but nowhere at the same time, (laughs) kind of just like spread myself too thin. Uh, I commit to things that I can't commit to. Um, so yeah, that's kind of an issue. Um, Further, I don't understand people who need days off. So my motor probably bothers a lot of people when I'm looking for something to do and everybody else is like, what are you talking about? Uh, I don't like being dependent on other people and just kind of like to do my own thing without explaining things, which probably drives some people nuts at the lack of communication. And um, I guess lastly, you know, I'm way too obsessed with this Notre Dame football program, which pretty makes make pretty much makes any event in the fall, no go for me. Um, and, and I'm just like some loser with the podcast who lives in Chicago. So, I mean, that's pretty on brand. Just why would you have to talk to that guy? <laughs> All right. If I was making the case for me, I'd say great friend, very loyal, good roommate, keeps the place clean, does a lot of the dirty work, no problem, and is a good cook. Um, smart, went to good schools and overall performed pretty well, in good shape, like to exercise and is committed. Uh, lastly, work really hard. Uh, in my downtime for my actual job, I spent a lot of time and effort into hosting and editing a podcast about Notre Dame football. Passionate person. Okay, the case against. Good friend, yes, but I hardly ever see them because I chose to live in Los Angeles with douchebags. Um, not necessarily a bad roommate, but the cleanliness is borderline OCD. Actually, it's it's just OCD. Kind of annoying. If I was as smart as I think I was, why didn't Notre Dame accept me the first time? Really makes you think. And yeah, I lift a lot. Sick. Um, but I haven't played a sport in years, and I'm probably overcompensating. And finally, great. Another white guy in his mid-20s who started a podcast. Just what the world needed. Closed the yearbook. But the point of this is all, all to say that anything is subjective. You could pretty much make the case for or against using the exact same talking points. It's just basically going to come down to which teams do you like? Which teams do you want to be in there? 
you're going to make the case for him. If you don't like him, you're going to use the same logic and just flip it and go against. And that's pretty much what we have with the college football playoff. And we have 13 different people doing it with however many teams. Yeah, I guess that's true. They're really bad at it, though. So I just want to throw that out there. All right, let's carry. On. Let's move on to Navy because, as we said, it's Navy Week, and we've talked a little bit about it before, but have never really gone in depth. And let me just start by saying, we totally understand the history of this game. As Father Hesburgh put it, Navy came in and kept us afloat until the war was over. They're the best friends we've got. End quote. That's true, and there's no doubt that Notre Dame owed. Yes past tense, owed the Naval Academy a great deal, but it's been nearly 80 years since these events happened, and we think the debt has been paid multiple times over. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it has been, right? Um, I I think we talked on this podcast about how too many of our childhood Notre Dame memories involve Purdue. That's also true of Navy, and of course it is, because they've played every year except last year since 1927, and the games are boring as hell. My first game was a Navy game. Of course it was. 2003, DJ Fitzpatrick, game-winning field goal. Wow. Notre Dame moved to like 3-6 and six on the year. Yeah, that was my first time ever at Notre Dame Stadium. Wow. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget that Notre Dame won 43 of these games consecutively at one point. Um, the prior to the game that ended it, which was 2007, the last time Navy had beaten Notre Dame was with Roger Staubach at quarterback in the 60s. So it was ridiculous. Um, I don't really know why they could keep playing this game. But speaking of that game that ended it, I'm not sure I ever saw my dad more angry than in 2007 when Travis Thomas was stopped in the third overtime. Just like chucked a pillow at the TV and turned it off immediately. And side note, I looked up the recap from that game. And there's a vintage Charlie Weiss quote. He says, the streak had no meaning to me or the team. They're worried about here and now. These kids are 17. You think they're worried about 43 years? Yeah, you clearly understood the job, Chuck. Losing a Navy is <laughs> definitely part of the job. Um, I mean, like, and I think when we talk about these teams that we play a lot, it seems like we dwell on the losses a lot, and probably for good reason, because it's what sticks with us the most. But the back-to-back losses in 2009 and 2010 were just humiliating. Um, I tweeted during the Cincinnati game this year that that first half of the Cincinnati game was the worst first half in Notre Dame Stadium since the 2009 Navy game. I still believe that. Um, another great Weiss quote after that 2009 loss. That comes to the territory. The sad part of that is that this job's every week. It's a week-to-week <laughs> deal. What did you think you were signing up for, man? Like, you were not, like, just quotes like that are so illuminating about how ill-prepared Charlie Weiss was to be a college football coach anywhere, let alone at Notre Dame. Um, 2010, I think we just got smoked. I remember yeah. traveling to my aunt's wedding and just, like, getting, we lost, like, 35-17. But I think what I also think of when I think of Navy I, mean, I think of Ram Vila, who like owned us like two or three different times. Uh, this is a kid that like was from like the northwest suburbs and just grew up loving Rudy. Of course, we never recruited him, and he just had huge games against us. Um, but but thankfully, after that terrible four year stretch, Notre Dame has regained control of the series over the last decade. I mean, the only time we've lost them is that terrible 2016 season. Since, yeah, I think the thing is our beef with the series has nothing to do with the past. Like we understand the history. We respect the tradition aspect of it, but it just has everything to do with the fact that this hurts Notre Dame on an annual basis. It's a pretty much a lose lose situation because the series isn't competitive. Like you said, Notre Dame has won 77 out of the 93 times these teams have played 52 out of the last 56. But what is a win against Navy going to get you? If anything, it actually comes at a pretty sizable cost because if they 
win, but they don't win by a lot. It almost seems like a, it feels like a loss. And look, Navy doesn't have the players to run a conventional offense. I get that. You're not going to find a 300-pound person who is also able to fulfill the physical requirements of being a naval officer. And that's okay. Like, I get that, and it's fine. But with that, you have a group of guys who are seriously undersized and have to run essentially a gimmick offense that involves cut blocking all game to make up for it, which puts the defenders at a much greater risk of injury. If you don't believe me, look at 2014. Notre Dame lost two starters for the season in that one, including Joe Schmidt. And as we talked about before, the season went completely off the rails after Joe Schmidt went out. And then just from a preparation standpoint, Notre Dame has to practically shelve all of their scheme for a week in the middle of the year to prepare for this triple option, which literally nobody else in college football runs. So it's just a giant waste of time. You're wasting a week of practice, yet we have to do this every single year. And if you don't think this stuff has an actual effect on wins and losses, you're wrong. Because under Brian Kelly, Notre Dame's 8-2 and two against Navy. They're 6-4 and four against opponents the week after they play Navy. I don't think that's a coincidence. And one of those wins came against Army, so it actually helped that they played Navy the week before. But then after two straight weeks of playing the triple option, they lost at home to Virginia Tech. So it's essentially like five and five. So yeah, they were going to beat Navy, but it just sort of throw a wrench in the middle of the season. It really does. Um, and like I'll say a couple of things. Um, I do think it's cool when like midshipmen show up to South Bend in uniform. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a really cool opportunity for them. Always been super respectful every time I've interacted with them. It's they're cool. always very nice and cool. Like yeah, every time they come up, it, like you said, it's nothing. It's nothing about Navy itself. It's just like the concept of the game. But and I would also be remiss not to mention that about thirty minutes before we started recording this, uh, they just announced that that game that was supposed to be in Dublin last year between Notre Dame and Navy actually is now going to happen in twenty twenty three, which is awesome. Um, if you watch the video where they announced it, they like show 1996 in uh, 2012 when they played in Dublin. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, great, they're going to announce it at the end. And then I started freaking out as we were getting towards the end of the video. I'm like, if they announce it's this summer and it's the last week of August, I have a fucking wedding and I'm not going to be able to go. But then thankfully, it's in 2023. So any weddings that get scheduled for that weekend, I'm announcing right now, I'm out on. Like, I'm going to Dublin. Um, so, anyways, that was big. Uh, but, but here's the thing. This game has absolutely no meaning to me, to quote Charlie Weiss, and is basically the last hanging thread of the crew that opposed field turf and the Jumbotron. Like, it's the old Notre Dame that, like, oh, you know, tradition. And and I get the history. I do, okay? I took a lot of history classes at Notre Dame, probably more than most people. And I know about the history of the university, and I get it. I really do. In fact, I think my least favorite thing about the series is how the history is presented as if it's some something nobody knows. Everybody fucking knows it. So stop talking about it. All right. Like we get it. And none of this is meant to disrespect Navy. And it's time to end the series. It really is. You can still play them maybe every tw- every two years, every three years, mix the other service academies in. I don't know. But get the game off the schedule or don't let them run the triple option where they can just take people's legs out. Make them run something different. Make them agree to some <laughs> bullshit kind of football game for them because we've been doing it for years. I'll say this. My father was in the Air Force for 32 years, and over like the last 20 years of his life, I heard him demanding we take Navy off the schedule. Like It's, it's not like a respect for the troops thing. It has no connection to that. It does not. We have active military members who have Notre Dame connections saying, 
I don't want to play Navy. I'll never forget being around my dad and his Air Force friends the week of the Air Force game in 2011 and them asking what his thoughts on the game were. He's like, I mean, I hope Notre Dame wins by 40. And they started laughing. He goes, no, I'm serious. And they were, like, quite taken aback that, like, why wouldn't you want Air Force to win? You're in the Air Force. Like, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I I think we, before, like, saying, like, you know, uh, I have no respect for Navy, that's certainly not the case. I have a lot. But this game itself just only brings us harm. Um, It only brings us harm, and we need to end it. All due respect to the Naval Academy. Appreciate all the pomp and circumstance that comes with this game after the game when they go sing the alma mater for both schools. It's a really cool, great show of respect. But in terms of just practicality, this game doesn't really make sense for Notre Dame from a football standpoint every year. It's been 80 years since the Naval Academy essentially kept Notre Dame afloat. I feel like the debt's been paid over and over again. And at this point... Like, as I said to this guy, Sean O'Connor, shout out to him, new friend of the program. Um, he was supporting the game and said basically the same line of thinking that most people who like this rivalry say Navy kept us afloat. Notre Dame wouldn't be what it is now without it. And as I pointed out to him, France saved the American Revolution. You don't see the United States playing the French every year. I suggest that we do what the French did, erect a statue like the Statue of Liberty on the campus of the Naval Academy, and we'll just call it even. I think it's time. Yeah, shout out to Sean O'Connor, by the way. He's got his own podcast, Fumble Through That End Zone. Really cool stuff they're doing over there, talking about all sorts of sports. Definitely give that a listen. Really enjoyed our discussion with him and, and everybody else that that responded to the tweet. Um, and I get it. Like There are going to be some people that really revere this series. Uh, I'm not one of them. I'm sick of it. Like, to be honest, I'm dreading going back to South Bend this weekend to watch us play Navy. I think, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about like not feeling strongly about Notre Dame's playoff position. Like right now I'm kind of just like enjoying this five year ride we're on. And like, I really like us seeing racking up wins and that's why I keep going back. This game, I was just like, why are we doing this? Like, Navy? Really? <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this game. Um, like I said, Navy's coming into this one. Uh, not a great year for them. They had a really great year in 2019. They actually finished 11-2, and and Notre Dame blew them out that year. Um, Navy was actually ranked in that game. and became sort of a trendy upset pick. Oh, we gained nothing from that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. We didn't jump in the polls at all. So if we're going to play them, we can't play them in November. Yeah, and even when they're good, like I said, Notre Dame pummeled them, and it was just like, okay, cool. You, you beat Navy by 50 or whatever. But as for this team, as you know, Navy runs the triple option. At its best, Navy is able to control time possession and capitalize. Uh, by scoring on super long, drawn-out drives that have 10 plays or more. So this year, Navy is fourth in time possession, so that's good, but they're 108th in the country in points per drive. So all that time holding onto the ball isn't really amounting to much, and for that reason, their offense just hasn't been good. In the past, though, whenever Notre Dame plays Navy, a good or bad Navy team, I feel like they almost always score on the opening drive as the Notre Dame defense gets used to going against a, a real triple option team. I, I know they've been seeing it a lot in scout team, but still, once you get a team who actually does that all the time, it's going to be a little bit different, and they're going to execute, obviously, better than the scout team. But once that's out of the way, the defense is usually able to settle in and shut it down from that point on, at least any decent Notre Dame team. Um, sophomore... I'm going to probably butcher this name, but Ty Lavati is their quarterback slash first ball carrier because he never really throws it. He didn't complete a single pass against Tulsa, but then again, he only attempted three passes. He leads the team in rushing attempts with 117, but he's 
he nets just 2.1 yards per carry. He's not a great thrower, completes just over 50% of his passes for 273 yards in the season. Uh, senior fullback Isaac Ross is solid. Uh, he's got 437 yards in the air and 111 carries. He's their most consistent running threat. Um, he'll probably be a problem that Notre Dame will have to deal with, but he's not breaking off any huge runs. And look, honestly, they're just a young team, which certainly isn't ideal for the Naval Academy and how they operate. They've dealt with some injuries on the offensive line, which has really hurt them too. Their starting center was hurt against Tulsa. Doesn't look like he's going to play against Notre Dame. They lost their starting left tackle to a season-ending injury a while ago. And to be honest, this is just one of the weaker Navy teams Brian Kelly's had to play, um, especially on offense. So it'll be a nuisance, but I don't really see them posing any significant threat on offense. Right. I mean, they also are really bad at blocking now. Like for years, they were very strong in it, but they let up seven and a half tackles for loss per game. And that's like not passing the ball at all. Like they just get no push. Last week, I know we did, or was it last week or two weeks ago, we did over unders. And we, it was last week. We said Notre Dame was going to get seven sacks. They had about three. Um, <laughs> yeah, because they couldn't tackle how. Right. Um, but I do think that this is a prime opportunity for them to get in the backfield and make some plays and, and probably meet that average. I think that Navy was probably hurt worse than most teams by COVID. I mean, do you remember last year when yeah. they opened against BYU and they said they didn't tackle in camp for COVID reasons? And, and it looked like it by, like by Zach 60, Wilson. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, they just seem like they haven't recovered yet. Um, they've been, they've lost what? They, they won one game last year, I want to yeah, say. Thir- they've lost 13 out of their last 18, going back to that 2019 season. Yeah, that's tough. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You got anything else you want to say about their offense or should we move to the other side of the ball? The last thing I'll say is to keep it on the point of like, what does Notre Dame really have to gain? It's not a whole lot. The only thing I'll say, if Notre Dame isn't able to tackle against this team, which they that's were a problem able to do against North Carolina, like that's one of those things where it's a much bigger problem now. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt against Sam Howell and Josh Downs, but if Notre Dame isn't able to bring these guys down and they have been dealing with injuries at linebacker, that would sound the alarm. I don't expect those issues to persist. Yeah, I don't either. I'm just saying, yeah. No, you're right. Then it's like, okay. Uh, then it gets a little bit interesting, this stretch run of games. But as for their other side of the ball, I, I like, I'll like. i be fully transparent. This is the least I've known about an opponent going into a game this year before I started <laughs> actually looking into it just because they're terrible. Um, but as I started to do research on this, I literally said to myself, I bet they have some linebacker with a name like Ram Vila who has like a million tackles. And, Sure enough, their best player on the entire team is linebacker Diego Fago, uh, leading tackler, and he's pretty rare for a Navy player in that he has a lot of size. He's pretty big, but he can also move from sideline to sideline. Kelly was pretty effusive in his praise of him, saying he could start at pretty much any Power 5 school. Um, defense as a whole honestly hasn't been terrible. They held Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, Cincinnati hasn't played well since they played us. <laughs> Um, convenient yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> defense has seven picks on the year and four forced fumbles only nine sacks but rush defense has only allowed four runs of 20 yards or more all season um, where they really suffer is in the secondary they're ranked 125th in the country by PFF in coverage that's quite bad uh, they also have a linebacker John Marshall who has given up a perfect 16 catches on 16 targets this year so we can get him lined up against Mayer I feel pretty good about that I think there should be a lot of opportunities in the passing game. I, I think just, you know, uh, more from Notre Dame's side of things, I'm curious to see if they try to give Kyron a spell, a lighter load. Um, we saw him kind of get hurt last week. Of course, then he still did rip off the 91-yard run. But 
He's taking a lot of carries, especially with Chris Tyree out the last couple weeks. So I'm wondering if we're going to see a lot of digs. We might see Audric Estime this week. He was on the field in the blocking capacity last week. So that would be cool. Uh, and I expect to see Colsey and, and Styles get even more action in, in the passing game. But Navy's, as for their just defense in general, it's, it's the base is a 4-2-5, but they have a bunch of different fronts and just kind of move around a lot. Don't It's not really that successful, but it's it's like different from what we're used to seeing from Navy. But yeah, I don't know. There's not a whole lot of note going on over there. It's It's not terrible, but it's not interesting either. Yeah, I mean, they hung tough against Cincinnati, like we said. Cincinnati hasn't played particularly well. They actually had a chance... Um, they had the ball late in the game, down six. So if they scored, they could win it with an extra point. But then watching their offense when they have to move quick, it's just a disaster. Like it's just not their system, and I and I totally understand it. But the main thing is just focus on yourself. Don't get in your own way. Don't commit turnovers, and the offense should work completely fine against this defense. I mean, they've been increasing every week. Um, I think the past three weeks, Notre Dame's been averaging around 35 points a game, steadily improving each week. I don't see why they can't put up 50 this week. Have we, we haven't done that yet this year, have we? No, we haven't even put up. Well, 44 was the most that Notre Dame's put up all season. That was in the last game against. And they put up 42 41. in overtime against yeah, Florida State. Yeah. Didn't they put 42 up against USC? Oh, no. 40, it was against USC, it was just 31. Against Wisconsin, it was 41, but 21. Wait, really? Against USC? Yeah, it was 31-16. And then against You're Wisconsin, right. it, was. Wow. it was 41. But defense and special yeah. teams scored 21 of those. Yeah. So the offense only put up 20. So in terms of offensive output, um, the past three games have been really solid. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I do expect that to, to continue. Um, yeah, this, this Cincinnati loss is getting really more and more frustrating. But at the end of the day, like – when I see Toledo is four and five overall, and we easily could have lost that game. It's hard to really think about it too much because this season could have gone a lot of different types of sideways. And thankfully it hasn't totally, but that Cincinnati loss, given how they acted after still kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And you think about the injuries that Notre Dame has suffered this year. The a fact ton. That they are seven one. Mm-hmm. Um, it really can't be understated. Like you look at years in like 2014, was a year when Notre Dame really started to suffer a lot of injuries as the season went on. Obviously, it happened again in 2015, which really sucked because that team definitely could have competed for a national championship. 2014, I don't think that was the case, but they lose Joe Schmidt, and then they lose the next four. This team has managed to survive without uh, Michael Mayer for a game, without Kyle Hamilton for essentially two games. Kurt Heinisch has been out. And the list goes on and on. The fact that they're 7-1 and in the top 10 is really impressive, and there's still a lot more to go. So I'm with you. I'm I'm just sort of enjoying winning games on Saturdays. And especially as you bring up the quotes from Charlie Weiss, like it's so easy to forget just how bad. That was miserable. Notre Dame was for so long where every Saturday it was like a coin flip. And a lot of times they lost. <laughs> like, so I've just been enjoying the ride. I was even thinking about like the, obviously the aberration that was 2016. Um, like just like randomly was thinking about that earlier today. I'm like, I don't remember so much of that season because I just tuned out um, completely. And like now I can't do that at all. I, I just had like the Morgan State game on TV too. They're 0 and 8. Like who watches these games? <laughs> Morgan State to begin with. Like I cannot imagine willingly putting this on my television. It's like, uh, or Akron. I've been seeing some things. They fired their coach. He went three and 24. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it is tough. You want to do some score predictions? 
Yeah, um, I'm going to go Notre Dame 42-17. I think they might try to play around with some things here and, and get some freshmen in some action. Uh, but Navy's really bad. Um, I, I don't like playing this game, but we got to do it. I don't, despite everything I just said, I don't anticipate Notre Dame taking them off the schedule anytime soon. Like this is just, yeah, we're stuck with this. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the wife that like you're waiting for the kids to go to college and then you can get the divorce, but then the divorce <laughs> just never comes because you didn't sign a prenup. So I, I don't know. Um, but anyways, this, um, that was not the analogy I was expecting. Yeah. I, I, I hope we put it on him again. Um, Irish big forty two seventeen. Yeah, I mean, this rivalry is not going anywhere. If anything, this is just another opportunity for us to vent. I'm going to be close. I'm actually going to say 52 to 14. Wow. Um, Bigger margin than me. That doesn't happen too often. That's true. A rare instance. I think the offense just tries to put it on, and we might get some like defensive touchdowns. Playing Navy can it can be a trap game. We've seen it happen before. Um, but this team just doesn't have the goods to compete with Notre Dame. Notre Dame's flawed. That's not even to say that Notre Dame's perfect, and even though they've been improving – especially over the past few weeks. Navy just doesn't have the manpower to take advantage of the deficiency of Notre Dame right now. Like, Kyle Hamilton's not playing this week, and frankly, I don't think that matters really at all in terms of the outcome this week. Now, next week against Virginia, totally different story. But this game should be similar to the 2019 game we talked about when Notre Dame just pummeled Navy, and they did it right out of the gate. And like I said, Notre Dame's offense has been averaging 36 points a game over the past three weeks. Even if they do try to mix it up and play more freshmen, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to continue to improve there. Um, so get up early, get the starters out as soon as possible, because the biggest thing this week is just try to avoid yep. any more injuries Health. and and then just get to Virginia next week because that's going to be a big showdown uh, over there in Virginia. So give me Notre Dame 52-14. to 14. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that one. Kind of stinks they lost BYU. Also kind of kind of stinks, but since they lost, I'm actually not that upset that Brennan Armstrong looks like might not be playing. But, um, yeah, I'll be in Charlottesville for that one. I think it should be a lot of fun weekend, a lot of people going. So, um, But let's get past this one first. All right, that's a wrap for our 50th episode. Thank you all for listening, and be sure to tune in again on Tuesday to hear our recap of everything that happened on Saturday. Talk to you then. Bye.